and welcome to Turning Heads. As audiology students, we're very familiar with our role in performing hearing evaluations and fitting hearing aids. But how well do we know the other specialties in our field? It almost feels out of balance. Today, more than ever before, it's important to take full advantage of our entire scope of practice and professional utility. As clinicians who have shifted their focus towards balance and equilibrium, our goal is to provide resources to enhance your professional toolkit, and we want to invite you to discuss the possibilities of our future as audiologists. My name is Clayton. I am from the University of Arkansas, originally from Nashville, but I've been living in Arkansas for about seven years now. My name is Christina. I am a audiology student at USF. I've lived in Tampa pretty much all my life. Went to UCF for my undergrad in interdisciplinary science. Hello, my name is Paxton. I'm coming from the University of Kansas, and my undergraduate was from the University of North Dakota. And last but not least, I'm Courtney. I'm from the University of Wisconsin. And I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to get started and share our information with all of you. We have a very unique opportunity here at AIB. We're almost working exclusively with vestibular patients, occasional audios and occasional hearing aids, but mainly vestibular. We all came here for a very specific reason. So, so what is it that, that draws us as externs and as future professionals to the dizzy population? Personally, I think what first drew me to this population is just the idea of how underserved they are. I mean, on average, these patients that are dizzy will see five providers before getting a proper diagnosis. And I just think that there's a lot of patients that need our care and our expertise. Um, And so I just really wanted to go into this area because I wanted to help patients, which I think is what we all can agree is why we went into the field of audiology in general. Absolutely. I think you definitely see a different side of audiology in the patient population. Oh, that's, definitely. That's the biggest thing for me is where, you know, you have people who are in denial about their hearing. Maybe they're, uh, it takes them a while to warm up that to that idea to get a hearing aid or they, they try to compensate for their hearing loss. But that's not how it is with dizzy patients. No. It, you can see the suffering oh, from get, the get-go. Yeah, <laughs> most of our patients are desperate for help and they're desperate for answers. I would agree, knowing that people would drive hours to go see someone if they are able to test and treat their dizziness or their disequilibrium is powerful, knowing that you can help so many people. And that's personally what has really driven me to become the best that I can be in this area of the field, because it's so needed. Just the power of being able to heal somebody on the spot with your hands and your words. Patients are so grateful that you can help them, and it's almost like they're in disbelief that some of the treatments that we do are that easy, and it was causing them that much distress in their life. Other than that, I think the main reason why I really love um, what we do here is that we fill a very specific niche within the world of healthcare that many other people don't don't really know how to fill. So like Courtney was saying, um, patients get shuffled around to five providers before they get to the bottom of their dizziness. Yeah. And um, that's incredible to me because not only are patients desperate out there to get in here and get treated, any physician in the area has a, a pile of papers with 
patients that are dizzy that they don't necessarily know what to do with and being able to provide that service not only to our patients but to the medical community itself is to me the most important thing because you know we're the specialists of the ear we we shouldn't be ignoring half of the ear especially anatomically and physiologically you could argue it's the more important half of the year because... I mean, it develops first. Yeah. Gestationally, it was the first to develop, and it's what we rely on earlier in life. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Even in, the, in utero, any animal or any person needs to understand where Mother Earth is before they can ambulate, before they can function, so... I'm not really sure where I was going with that rant, but I like well, where it I think ended. Another, <laughs> I think an easy way to say this is that you can live without hearing. You can't live without balance. So they understand the why now. They understand why we're doing what we're doing. But what about the things that we've seen? Do you have any patients in mind? You know, what's the patient population that you're working with? Have you, you know, any, any experiences that you could share through in, this externship? In one day, I saw an age range from 13 to 92. So with Dizzy, you, you aren't with only the geriatric community you're not with only pediatrics Mm -hmm. your your day changes so greatly that tomorrow I could see a whole different case of patients I could see all young I could see all older I could see everything in between so that's one thing that I really enjoy about vestibular assessment is that you never know what you're going to get it's really just a coin toss so to speak yeah, and I think it's also good to note not only do we have variety in ages and demographics that way, but we have variety in what the patients are presenting with. Do they have imbalance? Do they have vertigo? Do they have dizziness? You know, do they have headaches? Uh, it just it varies day to day. I also think that there's a, you know, it's it's yes, you have different disorders. Yes, you have different ages, but like at the at the nitty-gritty it's different treatment like it's not the same thing Mm -hmm. every single day yeah which is what makes it so exciting for me well that's also because we treat each person as an n of one Mm -hmm. so every person that walks in the door is a brand new patient they are not treated the same we don't go through a recipe approach of protocol every person who walks through the door we treat them like we've never seen them before and we go from there Mm -hmm. we do what's best for the person not what's best to get them in and out quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not technicians here. So our main goal isn't to just push the buttons, run the tests, and get the recordings. Our main goal is to use those tests as tools. But in the end, you know, it's our knowledge, it's our information, it's our background that's going to help treat these patients and treating them as, like Paxton said, an N of one. So each patient is different, and we treat it as such. Yeah, and going off of that, just... Because before we were talking about healing people with your hands, mm-hmm. you can also heal someone with your words. So oh, definitely. Recognizing when somebody has nothing um, that we can quantify that's wrong with them. A lot of times, you know, we like to say to patients every day here, there's not a dizzy patient in the whole world that isn't also anxious at the same time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. reassuring them that, yes, I see this all the time. Yes. Acknowledging their um, their frustrations and their limitations in life. You know, I, I don't know how many times patients have said to me, so so basically you're telling me there's nothing wrong. You can't find anything wrong with me or we don't know what's wrong with me. No, not necessarily. This is part is a very important part of a ruling out process. In fact, I would argue the most important part being that the ears are the majority of your sensation of balance. 
So guiding them through that, guiding them towards being dedicated to their treatment, being dedicated to PT and providers that would be better equipped to treat that patient is arguably one of the most important parts of our job. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, you know, there might be some people out there that say, oh, well, ENTs don't work well with audiologists. And there's this idea that, you know, within the audiology community, which I wholeheartedly disagree with, um, but I think there's this preconceived notion yeah, me too. That physicians and audiologists don't really get along. But I think that all comes down to the fact that you need to build that relationship, build that trust, show that you know what you're talking about. And I think the respect can be developed there. I haven't had any really many issues since being here um, in terms of interprofessional collaboration. And part of that, I think, is that we are filling this niche for these doctors. They don't know what to do with dizzy patients. You know, they've tested this. They've tested that. All their levels are normal. They can't figure out why they're dizzy. We fill that space for them. We are a tool that they can use. Oh, my patient feels dizzy. Let me roll out the inner ear. Let me see what they think it might be going on. And then they appreciate a call from us being like, oh, you know, I didn't see any abnormalities, but this is what I saw in office. And maybe what do you think about this playing a factor into their signs and symptoms, considering, you know, the rest of their medical history, things like that. That's usually how our conversations go with them. It's very back and forth and reciprocal. Yeah, exactly. Well, I do think, too, just talking about it from an externship standpoint, what are you training to be? Are you training to be someone who can do what a tech can do? Or are you training to be someone who's like really independent and can, can hold their own when you're talking to a physician or you're talking to a physical therapist or whoever? And that's not to say, even if you are into hearing aids, how are you treating, <laughs> how are you treating that position? Are you someone who just sort of learns to push some buttons and all of that? Are you constantly trying to, to develop your skills to be smarter than you were before. Even going over a lot of the oral rehab type mm-hmm. stuff, you know, that's all within our scope of practice. Tinnitus rehab. Yeah, exactly. We, we, can prov- we can be a tool for our patients. We can provide services that nobody else can provide. And if you ask me, no matter which field I'm in, that is the most important part is just that I'm serving my patients, not that I'm necessarily getting reimbursed for every single little thing I'm doing or this or that. And that builds rapport with your patient population. I mean, I don't know how many times we've treated patients for BPPV and then they're banging on our door to get hearing aids here. Even though hearing aids aren't something we specialize here, we've built such a strong connection with these patients this trust with them that they don't want to go anywhere else and I think that's something good to note off of Christina (laughs) even if it's just not balanced if you're working with your patients and you're showing that you care and you take the time with them and listen to what they're saying I think that builds a relationship and that's very very important between patient and provider as a patient yourself think about it the only thing that you want when walking out of a doctor's appointment is to feel heard valued and respected and if we can give them that no matter what type of audiology that we provide that is the goal all right guys so what are some things that you learned or are learning that you didn't think that you would you would have learned i think the biggest thing i've learned that i really didn't learn outside of 
you know, my classroom. So in our class, we learned about the VNG and we learned a little bit about BPPV and just really covered the basics. And initially going into this, I thought, oh, I need to study the tests. I need to know about VHIT and VEMPS and rotary chair. And I needed to know all of the specific tests. But little did I know that, you know, you have to look at the bigger picture. And to be honest, any test in in Vistib is not really a great test. They're all very small components and shouldn't be taken in isolation. You kind of have to get piece by piece together the big the whole picture and then from there going back to your question Clayton I feel like you deal with a whole different cohort of uh, medical professionals that you may intercollaborate with. So mm -hmm. um, getting to know a lot about neurology and when to send patients to neurology versus physical therapy. And here at AIB, we actually have therapists in-house. So we do get to see the patient from diagnosis, uh, maybe treat some BPPV along the way, and then see them out through their therapy with PT, which is an incredible experience, probably one of my favorite experiences here. How do you guys feel about that? It definitely puts it all in perspective because you end up thinking about like, I don't know, if you look at like research and you just go like, well, I don't need to know this. This isn't in my wheelhouse. I don't need to know this. I think the biggest thing that has stood out to me go, like is exactly what you're saying. It, it really does highlight what it's like working alongside other people. Absolutely. The interprofessional collaboration is probably the highlight for me as well. And that's very similar to what you just said, Christina, when we can have a patient that comes in and say they've got some blood pressure complications, if we can call their primary care and have a conversation, that is best for the patient. And it's also just incredible respect among professionals. And I think all of us are really saying, you know, we aren't hitting on all the cool tests we do and all the fun technology we have it's great to have those tools in your toolbox but mm -hmm. i think i mean i i don't want to speak for everyone here but i think we all just really enjoy treating our patients as people mm -hmm. and really making their concerns validated because a lot of times patients are told oh you're getting old that's why you're falling a lot well i mean that's just not that's not a good thing to be telling our patients. Falls are the leading cause of accidental death in people over the age of 65. And I don't think patients who are falling should be written off as, oh, it's just getting old. Well, and two of the main risk factors for falling are a history of falls and fear of falling. So if you're just sending them out the door without giving them tools on where to go from here or what they can be doing at home to prevent falls is not going to solve the situation. I think personally, one of my most memorable experiences here thus far has been the patient experience. Yeah, Everyone that comes through the door is different and being able to see them change from the beginning of the appointment to the end of the appointment is truly noteworthy. Yeah, it's a really rewarding thing to see a patient come full circle on you. A lot of what we've been touching on is our patient population, but also just walking through the mental the mental processes that you go through when you are seeing them. You're thinking of different things. You're you're looking at all aspects of their life. You're not you're not just a technician pushing buttons, you know, like Courtney said. You're mm -hmm. not just fixating on the the equipment that you have and the, what the test results show. You're talking to your patient the whole way through. 
And so you not only become a healer, you not only become a medical concierge, but we're also, we're health advocates for that person. So we're taking into consideration what they're saying when nobody else has listened to them. We are truly caring for their emotional state of mind as well as their physical state. And I think too, like, I think this podcast, you know, I, I think it's our next episode. We're going to be discussing what can you do as a student, as a young professional in the field to help this patient population, even if you don't have even the most basic VNG equipment with calorics. What can you do to test your patient's fall risk? What can you do to assess it, whether or not, is it the ear, is it not the ear? Should, where can I refer to? Because I think everybody needs to be looking and asking these questions with their patients because there is so much overlap between our hearing aid patients and the dizzy patients. All right, guys. So we've gone over a lot today. We've talked about why we came to AIB, why we're interested in dizzy patients, and, and really even talking about why we want to become vestibular audiologists or equilibrium specialists. Now, this is a student-led podcast, and we want to hear from you. What questions do you have? So there's some ways that you can reach out to us, either at Facebook at AIB Resident Corner or on Instagram at Turning Head Podcast, all one word. If you're lucky, your question could be featured in a future episode. Going forward, we've got some special guests here that are going to come in. We'll interview them, and you can talk a little bit more about individual uh, topics of that day. So in any case, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. All right, fun fact of the day. Have you heard of Alexander Crum Brown? He was a professor of chemistry and chemical pharmacy at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, and he's a forgotten pioneer of vestibular science. He theorized that the semicircular canals were paired together and that motion intolerance was due to a sensory conflict between the eyes and the vestibular system. Both of these theories contribute to our understanding of the vestibular system today. Hey, if you're someone who's interested in learning more about the diagnostic and rehabilitative aspects of the vestibular and equilibrium sciences, AIB is now offering a university program online for audiology students. Ask your program directors if your university will offer our course as part of the curriculum. And if not, reach out to us. We also offer the course on an individual basis for just the price of a textbook.